We'll see a video now that get Dave Curl put together, an introduction to our looking into the history of People's Church. People's Church has a long history, and over time and with many ministers, we have experienced every style of leadership. The Kalamazoo Church has existed for more than a century and a half, but our religious forebears arrived in North America with the first settlers. They included Congregationalists and Transcendentalists whose services remained primarily Protestant Christian. Many notable people were Unitarians or Universalists. Their personal beliefs often tended toward liberal causes such as the abolition of slavery. But only slight differences in doctrine separated Unitarians and Universalists from the mainstream, even by 1825 when the American Unitarian Association was formed and dispatched a few brave missionaries to the frontier. Kalamazoo was still a frontier town in 1855 when young missionary D.A. Russell arrived from Boston to organize the First Unitarian Society, which raised money to build a church on South Park Street during the Civil War. The small congregation in Kalamazoo grew slowly under a succession of ministers, but remained quite traditional until 1889 when a fiery young woman named Carolyn Bartlett came to town and changed everything. A social reformer ahead of her time, she inspired the construction of a large downtown building in 1894 and proposed naming it People's Church. She surprised everyone with her innovative ideas about uses of the new space for community outreach and social action. Other ministers followed in the footsteps of Carolyn Bartlett Crane, most notably Edwin Palmer, who treated the building as his home and the congregation as his family. He and his wife, Margareta, kept the church together during the dark years of the Great Depression and World War II. Mr. Palmer's sudden death brought to our ministry Roger Greeley, a dominating and dynamic young former Marine who proudly considered each Sunday service a theatrical performance. He extolled the doctrine of humanism, emphasized civil rights and GLBT inclusion, presided over exceptional congregational growth, and inspired construction of the present 10th Street building. After Mr. Greeley's retirement and a brief interim, the Reverend Dr. Davidson Lohr brought an extraordinary resume as our next settled minister. He was a brilliant scholar and an eloquent orator, but his personal approach divided the congregation. Although Dr. Lohr was esteemed by many, others found themselves alienated, resulting in his resignation and formation of the UU Community Church in Portage. Fred Campbell's two-year interim ministry followed. His low-key cooperative approach to leadership maintained our membership and brought needed healing. The personality of People's Church today reflects most notably the shared ministry style of Jill McAllister, under whose consensus leadership People's earned international recognition. We became more welcoming as a congregation and church programs for all ages, 
especially religious education, grew greatly, resulting in expansion of our 45-year-old building to its present size. We've come a long way. Our history has evolved from liberal Christian views about God and Jesus to a rich pluralism that includes theist, atheist, agnostic, humanist, pagan, Christian, Jew, and Buddhist. We're proud of our tradition, and as we seek yet another new minister, our rich experience can help us to plan for a vibrant future. Thank you, Dave. That was really nice. Well, Dave Curl, one of our, our resident historians, notes that the records seem unclear as to who first suggested the name People's Church. In a, a video of, of history, Marge Spradling attributes the honor to Silas Hubbard, who was an influential member and note the Hubbard Henneke Fund that provides support to the church to this day. Yes, Silas Hubbard may well have suggested the name, but from Dave's study of Caroline Bartlett Crane's many vibrant accomplishments, it would have been very much like her to have planted the idea and let others take the credit. I invite Marge Leitner to come forward and share some of her memories of an earlier era and want to let you know that Bill Goodman uh, will be sharing at another time. But Marge, this is your time now. I've been coming to this church for over 50 years, so I have a rich sense of our history. And I want to share with you now um, my early years. I went to Central High School here in Kalamazoo in the 50s, the old Central High School on Westnage. I was on the school newspaper staff, so frequently stayed after school, and then would walk downtown with a group of friends to catch a bus home. We usually walked by this very unique and beautiful building on the corner of Park and Lovell Street. The sign said it was a church, people's church, but it didn't look like any church we had ever seen. The family of one of my friends attended that church, and he did odd jobs for the minister, Mr. Palmer. We asked him what he did, and he said, I cut the word God out of all of the Bibles. That intrigued us, so we asked him more questions and learned that the minister and his wife actually lived in that church, that you didn't have to believe in God to go there. In fact, you didn't have to believe in anything specific, only to try and live a good life. That was certainly different from any other church we had ever heard of. And so in the spring of 1955, several of us decided to attend a service. 
The inside of the church was as intriguing as the outside. People were having lively discussions in all the rooms outside the auditorium. That hasn't changed much, has it? But inside, people were sitting quietly and listening to the organ being played by Richard Niesink, Catherine's father-in-law. It was like a sanctuary in there. I was surprised to see a group of older, white-haired folks sitting near the back. Hello back there. (laughs) Some things don't change. (laughs) I expected lots of young people in such a radical church, but not older people. Certainly they were looking for a church that would get them into heaven, and this was certainly not the place to do that. Another difference was that they didn't pass the plate. They didn't take a collection. No money changers in the temple there. It totally amazed us, for it didn't seem like a church at all. And when Mr. Palmer got up and his words came forth, it was even less like a church. We didn't read from the Bible. We didn't hear the word God or Jesus. It was just amazing. We loved it. But getting up on Sunday mornings was a little difficult for us. It was our sleep-in morning. And so we decided to try the student roundtable on Sunday nights that Mr. Palmer had. It met in Mr. Palmer's study, a room full of old books and big leather chairs. Sometimes he would start the discussion with a quote or an article. Sometimes one of us would raise an issue that was troubling Initially, the discussion centered on religion, or rather, our dislike of religion. We were actively rejecting the beliefs we were raised with. I wonder now at his patience as he sat and listened to our tirades. But he did listen intently, and every now and then he would ask a question. He never told us what he believed. That was irrelevant. His goal was to help us examine and question and think more clearly. He was, in essence, our Socrates. Just before he left for three weeks in July, he suggested that we attend three churches, one each Sunday that he was gone, take notes on what we didn't like and what we disagreed with, and then we would discuss our findings when he got back. So powerful was his influence that we, a group of junior and seniors in high school, actually did that. We got up on Sunday mornings and picked a different church. One Sunday, we went to a church in the morning and a church at night. We had lively discussions when he got back. And then when the discussions were done, we would go downstairs to the church kitchen and enjoy tea and something that Mrs. Palmer had baked. I loved that church. And I loved the smells of that place, the polished wood, the old books, his pipe tobacco, and home-baked goodies. Mr. Palmer had been an ordained Methodist minister, but over the years he realized that he no longer believed the teachings of that or any other church. He was a free thinker, as they were known in those days, a humanist who rejected the concept of God. So he left the ministry and sold insurance for a while until he learned about Unitarianism and knew he had found a home. He became our minister in 1934 in the height of the Depression. 
We had a small but dedicated congregation who were looking for a way to keep the church alive to prevent having to sell that building that Carolyn Bartlett Crane had designed some 40 years before. Mr. Palmer took on that job and virtually saved People's Church. We owe him a great deal. After several years, it became apparent that he was having a difficulty managing on his $100 a month salary, $50 of which went for rent. And so he proposed that he would take on all the janitorial duties of the church in addition to those of minister in return for his family moving into the church. The proposal was accepted, and so they moved in. He soon became a general handyman, along with being the janitor and minister. And over the years, he lovingly restored all the beautiful woodwork in that building. He printed all the Sunday programs on an old printing press in the basement. They were works of art. He loved people and got to know many who worked in the downtown area just by striking up conversations on his walks through the the town. He was involved in many social justice activities, carrying on the legacy of Carolyn Bartlett Crane. If ever there was a man who lived by our current motto, let all you do be done in love, it was Mr. Palmer. We had the reading this morning, and in there there was the phrase, critical mind and generous heart. That was Mr. Palmer. He brought enthusiasm and caring to all aspects of his ministry and his life. And then the day after Christmas, 1956, he died of a heart attack at the age of 65. It was a shock. I had only known him for a little over a year and a half, and now he was gone. Ministers do that, you know. They die or retire or move on, whether we are ready or not. That is one of the lessons we can learn from our past. The church had been slowly growing as new young families came to work at Upjohns and Western after World War II, but it was never full on Sundays. When I went to his memorial service on a cold, wintry January day, the church was overflowing There wasn't a place for anyone to stand, let alone for chairs to be set up. The larger community had come to join with us in paying respects to this gentle giant of a man with a twinkle in his eye who lived his religion every day. Whenever people ask me who has had the most influence on my life, Mr. Palmer is right at the top of my list. Now I had to enter into the first of the many transitions that I have experienced in my years here. The new minister, Roger Greeley, shared a similar philosophy to Mr. Palmer, which I really liked, but his style was entirely different. He was more of a talker than a listener, and he didn't hesitate to tell us what he thought of our ideas. It took me several years to make that adjustment. And then the church decided to sell the building on Park and Lovell and move out here. I loved that building, and this was probably the hardest transition for me in all my years here. I will never love this building in the way that I loved that one. 
but I do love walking the nature trail and wandering whoops, around the memorial garden and having hot dog roasts in the back. There are trade-offs, you know, in all these changes that we experience. We had big dinners cooked by the women of the church during the 40s and the 50s. The annual meeting had a wonderful big dinner that we cooked, but we had a potluck dessert. And all the kids liked to come to the annual meeting because they got lots of desserts. In the 60s, we had monthly potlucks. Now we have second Sunday lunches. I listened to classical music played on our beautiful pipe organ, The pipes are right over there, in case you've never seen them. Now I might be listening to Daryl or the band or drums when I come in. We had wonderful church campouts at Circle Pines and Camp Rota Kawan in the 60s, and now we go to Van Buren State Park. There have been changes I love in all these years. One of the most recent ones was the songs that we sing. Mr. Palmer and Roger changed the words of traditional hymns to go along with their humanist philosophy, but they weren't very singable. Now we sing with gusto, and I loved watching the children sing the songs. They know the words to those songs, and they didn't know any words to songs back then. I have to admit I have a difficult time with the collection, Not taking a collection was a strong value in the church I joined. But I do like that we give the money from one collection a month to help people who are less fortunate than we are. And who knows, maybe we will increase that to two collections a month someday to better reflect our present values. So what has kept me here through all these many changes, changes in the church and changes in me, One of the biggest reasons I am still here is that I believe in people's church, in its mission and its values. They have changed a little, but basically they are the same as they were when I first came 50 years ago. When I was searching for a religion that made sense, a church that didn't demand that I believe in a set creed, it made and still makes a significant difference in my life. And I want it to be here for others who are searching. One of the things that the past has taught me is that the minister is not the church. We are the church. Ministers come and go. Members come and go. But this community we create will always be here as long as we are willing to nurture and care for it and as long as we can adapt to change, which will always come, bringing with it new ideas, new energy, and new life. It's hard to believe how a woman who looks so young could have already been part of this church for 50 years.